As we go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, I want to welcome also all of our locations, our television and online community. We are glad that you are here. We know God is going to speak to you. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous or evil times will come. We're in those days right now. How do we know that? Well, there's evil all around us, right? It's being called wrong. Wrong is being called right. And here are some of the signs. It says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control. We looked at that last week. Brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. From our text and our series following Jesus in today's world, I want to speak to you from the subject Burger King God. Burger King God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Would you minister by your grace and power to every heart uniquely? Would you encourage us? Would you transform us by your word? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. First of all, let me just say that I'm a McDonald's guy. I I like everything about McDonald's better than Burger King. But uh, the Burger King God is not actually a compliment. It's actually something that I don't believe God wants us to be a part of. Burger King, though, has a slogan. You might remember it. Have it your way at Burger King. If you want pickles but no onions, have it your way. If you want mustard but no ketchup, have it your way. If you want lettuce but no tomatoes, have it your way. This was and is Burger King's attempt to tap into human nature. And human nature is to do it our way. It's why the song from Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way, was a hit. The very last verse in the song says this, For what is man and what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of somebody who kneels. Let the record show I took the blows and I did it my way. Notice that these are not the words of somebody who kneels. A a my way, a Burger King God is not congruent with the Christian life. God is not about doing it our way. God is about doing it his way. And yet when we come to our text, one of the signs of the end of times, the end time culture, is that Christianity will be lived their way or our way instead of God's way. Look at it again. Second Timothy chapter three, verse number four. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Now on the surface, this may seem like it's talking about the crazy counter Christian culture that we live in. And it is. But I want to submit for your approval that it's a lot closer to home than we think. Lovers of pleasure is a compound of two Greek words, philos, which means love, and hedon, which is where we get the word hedonism from, and it describes individuals who give themselves to the unbridled and unrestrained seeking of pleasure of any type. It's people where the pursuit of pleasure or what makes them happy is the most important thing in their lives. But what really makes this phrase close to home is it says lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A better way to translate that would be more than lovers of God. In other words, pleasure and happiness holds the highest rank in their life 
over their love for God. So this verse doesn't describe people who don't love God. They just love God less than their personal happiness and pleasure. Say, oh me or oh my, whichever one applies to you. But this, sadly, is even the state of the church. We can easily see this in unsaved society, but it's crept into God's house. And we've talked about this before, but let me mention it again. Too many, too many Christianity has become a consumer religion where God is a means to an end. He is a ticket to self-indulgence. In other words, many don't serve God out of a love for him because of him delivering them from sin and saving them their souls. Many don't come to Christ because they realize that the wages of sin are death or eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Many come to Christ because of the earthly benefits that he can provide for them and that they know he wants to give them. God is just another means to an end. He's just another way to the American dream. He's not Lord, but Rather, he is Aladdin's genie in the bottle. And the proof is when God is inconvenient, schedule-wise, money-wise, priority-wise, lifestyle-wise, God loses and the pursuit of happiness and pleasure wins. If church, if it's church versus whatever on Sunday, God loses. If it's vacation or a bigger house or a nicer car or eating out versus tithing, God loses. If it's the business of the day versus praying and reading the word of God, God loses. If it's standing on biblical truth or feeling socially uncomfortable, God loses. We want a Burger King God, God our way and not God his way. William Booth 150 years ago said this. He said the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ. Watch this. Forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. What's that talking about? Burger King, God. Notice the next thing the Holy Spirit tells us will be a sign of the end time culture. He says not only lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, but having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such turn away. Notice the phrase, a form of godliness. What does this mean? It comes from the original word uh, morphosis, which means an outward shape or form. In other words, outwardly there is piety and religiosity. Right clothings, right sayings. Right, Christian colloquialisms, how you doing? Blessed, highly favored, blessed coming in, blessed coming out, you know? How, how's everything going in your life? Oh, if it was any better, you know, there'd be two of me. Oh, all of this Christian stuff that we like to say. So we have the outward form of Christianity, but notice what it says. It says, and, and here's another one. Well, you know, um, I, I'm real spiritual. That's another one of the, the outward things. You know, I love everybody, I accept everybody, I meditate, you know, and I'm spiritual. I, I don't really go to church, I don't really love, love read the Bible, but, but I'm, I'm spiritual. Outward form of Christianity. By the way, that's one of the ways that people get tripped up all of the time. They think that spiritual means saved. Spiritual don't mean saved. Saved means saved, you know. People who are spiritual, they like to talk about, well, you know, I'm in touch with my inner child and myself, I'm spiritual. Well, what does that even mean? Right, the scripture says that they will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power. And this is not the power of miracles, by the way. 
Because in the end times, the Antichrist is going to do miracles. It is not the denying of miracles. It is denying the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit who changes somebody and sets them apart from sin. It is the recognition that when you come to Christ, you must repent of your sin and turn from your old ways and begin to walk with Christ. You see, there is a new spirituality out there that says that I can live any way that I want, that I do not need to acknowledge the fact that there is a Savior who died for me because of sin and unless I repent of my sin and turn from my ways and follow him, I'm not saved. Hello? It's so foreign to us. It almost seems abrasive. But it is modern day Christianity. It is forgiveness without repentance. It is heaven without a hell. It is Christianity without a savior who died for our sins. Let me give you a modern day example. There's a well-known church in Washington, D.C. known as the Washington National Cathedral. Here was one of their recent statements they put out. As one of the nation's most iconic faith communities, Washington National Cathedral strives to be a house of prayer where all are welcome. As we live in that expansive, inclusive identity. Do you hear the crazy talk already? The expansive, inclusive identity. We at the cathedral want to be as clear as we can that all means all. Every person is loved by God. We can preach that from the pulpit, but the most emphatic way we can say it is to live it by uniting same-sex couples in marriage at the altar in our cathedral. Sadly, most people don't see anything wrong with that. There's some truth in that, but that's how the devil plays, right? The devil always couches sin and truth, right? For, for true, God does love everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This isn't a matter of, you know, putting sin on some type of scale and saying some sin is worse than other sin. Although the Bible does say that fornication, because it's against our body, is even greater. You can read that in your Bible. But the truth also is that even though God loves everybody, following Christ requires repentance from sin, not a willful continuation in sin. Jesus loved the woman caught in adultery. He protected her from persecution when they all wanted to stone her because of her sin, as we should when people try to persecute other people because of their sin. This is not about persecuting people or condemning people, but Jesus told the woman after he protected her, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. Jesus received Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who was a prostitute. But when she came to Jesus, do you know what she did? She broke her alabaster box. And somebody said, well, what does that mean? In Bible times, the way that prostitutes would allure people, matter of fact, you can read all about it in Song of Songs and all of that kind of stuff, is they would perfume their bed. 
And they would use perfume as a way to entice people into sin. But notice what she did when she came to Jesus. She broke her alabaster box. She said, I love him too much to continue in my own life. He's changed my life. He's rescued me. I don't need this anymore. I've got Jesus. Matter of fact, when the Pharisees looked at Jesus some kind of way for allowing her to worship him, here's what Jesus said. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Repentance required through the power of regeneration. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, he was an extorter. He worked the people for more money uh, in taxes than they should have been paying. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. Jesus will always accept and meet with any sinner, but he will always challenge them to change. Watch this. Luke chapter 19, verse number 8, after lunch was over, Zacchaeus stood up. He just had a conversation with Jesus, and he said, Lord, Lord, look. I've given half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. In other words, my conversation, my encounter with Jesus produced repentance. It produced a change in my behavior, a change in lifestyle, a change from doing it the way I used to do it to now walking with God. And we have forgotten that the Bible requires repentance. There will be a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof, the power of regeneration, the power to be a new person in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Romans says. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. If any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. Oh, things, the way I used to do it, the way I used to behave, the things that I used to like, they have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I don't care how spiritual somebody appears to be. If they deny the regenerative power of the Holy Ghost and the regenerative power of the cross, they ain't saved. Hello? And this is the new form of Christianity. The new form of Christianity is godliness, but denying the power. You know what Paul wrote? He said, from such people, turn away. Run quick. Don't hang out emotionally there. Don't hang out physically there. Don't hang out spiritually there. Run away from that. Separate yourself from that. Why? Because it'll trip you up. It'll pull you back. Don't get caught up in that. So this brand of Christianity, this this Burger King brand of Christianity will become more and more prolific as we get closer and closer to the end of the world or the return of Christ um, as we progress in end times here. It was there in Jesus' times, but it's more prolific now. And so I want to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a man 
who wanted a Burger King God. Watch this. It's found over in Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all of these have I kept from my youth. First of all, that's a complete lie. There's nobody that keeps all the commandments perfectly. Nobody. For instance, Jesus said, if you look on a woman and lust for her in your heart, you've done what? You've committed adultery. How many's done that before? Look at nobody will raise that. Raise my hand, Pastor. No way, not me, not we. Right? Every single person has broken all of the commandments. But he said, Well, I, I kept all these, I kept all these since I was since I was a kid, right? And by the way, it says, he said, nobody who looks on a woman, but ladies, that don't leave you exempt either. Can you say amen? And then notice what it says, and he answered and said to him, he said, uh, teacher, all of these have I kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and he said, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, this isn't an indictment against the affluent. This isn't an indictment against those who have much. Because as I've shared with you before, if you live in America, you have much. If you live in America, you are richer than at this stage of the game, 67% of the world's population. If you just have simply a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food on your table. And so this is not Jesus' point. There's something deeper that is going on here. But when you listen to the conversation, he's really speaking to our generation, even though this happened 2,000 years ago. The first thing that he tells us is pleasure over promises and under delivers. Notice this guy. He's wealthy. He can buy whatever he wants. He doesn't need, you know, anybody's help. He can literally get and obtain anything that he wants. He's a ruler, so he's got influence. But then the next thing we know about him is he's young, and so he's got time on his hands. So he's wealthy, he's got influence, and he's young. He is the American dream, except back then it was the Jewish dream, right? He's got everything, but yet he comes to Jesus and he says, Good master, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Something's missing on the inside of me. I got all this stuff. I've got the American trifecta. I've got money, I've got power, and I've got youth on my side, but yet I'm still miserable on the inside. Something is missing. What is he telling us? Happiness doesn't come from things. It doesn't come from the pursuit of pleasure. Being a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God over promises and under delivers. Pleasure is not found in money or fame or, and, or any of those things. Robin Williams had all of it, but he killed himself. Alexander the Great, you know, conquered the known world. After he conquered everything there was to conquer, here's what he said, there are no more worlds to conquer, and he wept. Happiness is not found in earthly pursuits. It's not found in earthly things. God doesn't mind us having stuff. We'll talk about that in a middle minute. But that's not where happiness is found. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 28. If you obey the Lord, you'll be happy. If you obey the Lord, you will be happy. But then number two, he tells us just a form of godliness is a fake kind of faith. 
Now, from this guy's perspective, he had a good moral character. Jesus asked him about six of the Ten Commandments, and he said, you know what? I've done them. I've kept them. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't killed. I haven't gossiped. I haven't cheated, and I've even treated my parents right. None of us would probably admit, like this guy admit, well, he kept them all. Most of us have done something on the list in some way. Say, Pastor, well, i never done anything. Ever steal? Yes, you have. Ever be at the office? Supposed to be working on the phone? Personal conversation? You're stealing. You're not getting paid for personal things. Ever take paper home from the office? Paper clips home from the office? I mean, that's we all have done stuff like that. The point is that when we hold ourselves up to the standard of God, because the standard of God is perfection, by the way. In order to get into heaven, you need to be perfect. Say, well, Pastor, is anybody perfect in heaven? Yes. Lots of people are perfect in heaven. Why? Because when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, what God does is he imputes the perfection of Jesus onto you. You become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so God doesn't see you through your sin. God sees you through your Savior. Every one of us has fallen short. But the guy says, you know what? I've done these things. I'm rich. I'm influential. I'm young and I'm moral. Kind of guy you want your daughter to marry, isn't it? Not a loser. You know, got everything. Told my daughter, I said, don't be bringing no, none of that home. I'm not with that, you know. And I even told her, and nobody ugly either, because I don't want no ugly grandkids. I mean, we got we to gotta keep this momentum going a little bit. <laughs> kind of guy you'd want. But in the end, there was no eternal life for this guy. He went away sad. There's no record that he received uh, eternal life. No record he got right with Jesus. He just walked away. Why? He didn't want to change. He didn't want to repent for a lifestyle that was standing in the way of his relationship with Christ. The guy wanted a Burger King God before there was a Burger King. God, I want a relationship with you on my terms. I want you to be okay, God, with having a lesser rank in my life than the stuff that I have. God had no problem with the guy having stuff, but the stuff had the guy. He had a problem with something being more important than him. And when we obsess and put something before God, God says, you gotta, you gotta lay that down. That's Burger King Christianity. That brand of godliness is a fake form of real faith, and it leads to separation from Jesus and not the eternal and the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. So what is the solution to Burger King Christianity? It's putting God first. God has a preoccupation with being number one. Some people say that's where I got it from. God has a preoccupation with being number one. All throughout scripture, right from the book of, uh, right even before there was mankind, God had a preoccupation with being number one. Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 12, speaks about Lucifer. And it says, how are you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? How have you been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend to the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. Here's what he said. I'm going to be number one. You know what God did? He said, boop, out of heaven. God said, no, 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 you don't understand. I hold spot number one. At the beginning of creation, right in the garden, God wanted to be first. 
You remember the story. It says in the process of time, Genesis 4 verse 3, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So it seems like he's doing something good. He's bringing an offering. But Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Why? Because Cain didn't bring the first to God. He brought leftovers. And God said, no, no, you don't understand how this works. This brand of relationship is not what you think. I I don't come to you on your terms. You come to me on my terms. You don't understand that in this relationship, the number one spot belongs to me. Today, God wants to be number one. Exodus chapter 20, verse number three. You shall have no gods before me. Most of us think that what that's talking about is us worshiping another deity, but there's a lot of people in the house of God that have gods before him, things that they love more than Jesus. And God said, no, that's not Christianity as I defined it. And then at the end of the world, God still wants that number one position. Revelation 22, behold, I'm coming again soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Watch this. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. Make no mistake about it. God wants to be number one in our lives. First before everything and everyone. First before pleasures and first before people. The solution to Burger King Christianity is to put God first. Before our business, our job, our career, our friends, our family, our desires, our wants, our likes, ourselves, our future, our health, our wealth, our wife, our husband, our kids, our hobbies, our recreation, our happiness. God wants to be number one. Now here's the question. Why does he want to be number one? Is God insecure? You know, there are people sometimes, they want to be number one, they want attention, you know, they're insecure, they need validation. Is that why God wants to be number one? No, the reason why God wants to be number one is because it works out best for us. I'm going to show you that in a second. But look at what Jesus told to this man. He gives us the solution for how to put God first. Number one, realize that he's God. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. In Bible times, they reserved goodness for only speaking about God. And so Jesus was telling this guy, the answer to what you're seeking is to realize who I am. You call me good, and so you've rightly spoken because I'm God. And one of the things that we need to realize is that he is God, and that helps you to put him first. Why? He's the one who gave us life. He's the one who breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. He's the one who breathes into us every single day to keep us afloat. He created us in our mother's womb. He knit us together in the unseen parts. He created all of our delicate parts. He numbered our days before there were any of them. We need to realize he's God. And so he deserves to be first. But then after he did all that, he redeemed us. He redeemed us from sin. He redeemed us from hell. He, he sentenced our life to a future in heaven instead of, and, and rescued us from a sentence apart from him in a place called hell. We need to realize he's God. He deserves to be first. He looked at the man and he said, why do you call me good? Hmm. Think about why you're saying that. I am he. And so when I tell you 
sell everything you have and come and follow me. What I'm letting you know is I deserve to be first in your life. Because if I wasn't here, if I never gave you life, you wouldn't be here. But then number two, second key, rest in his love. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. And by the way, when you love people, sometimes you have to tell people what they don't want to hear. Because Jesus told them something he didn't want to hear. He said, one thing you lack. The man came to Jesus. He was like, look at me. I did all these things. I'm young. I'm rich. I'm influential. I keep the Ten Commandments. How do I have eternal life? Jesus looked at him. He said, well, since you asked, there's one thing you lack. Sometimes when we love people, we can't just not tell them what they need to hear. Love sometimes is abrasive. Not abrasive in terms of rude, but sometimes an abrasive as in shocking. Sometimes love stings. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you love somebody, you don't just tell them what they want to hear. Sometimes you tell them what they need to hear. But he looked at him and he loved him. What was he doing? He was letting him know why he wants to be first. What is love? Love or trusting in God's love is recognizing that he always has our best interests at heart. When Jesus looked at him and told him to do something he was difficult, he was telling the man, trust in my love. Trust that if I ask you to do something, I have your best interests at heart. And any time in the scriptures somebody put God first, it went well for them. That's why the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added unto you. Life works best when God is first. When God is first, marriage works best, family works best, relationships work best. When God is first, ideas flow, creativity flows, wisdom flows. When God is first, that's where promotion and protection and provision happens. When God is first, struggles become stepping stones, adversities turn into opportunities, problems wind up perfecting us. When God is first, we stumble into opportunities, blessings come and they chase us down in our lives, and good things happen to us when God is first. So God isn't tripping on being number one. God is asking us to trust his love because when he is number one, it goes best for us. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. Part with what is one in your life. Make me number one and then we'll see how life goes for you. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, if we please God, he'll make us wise, understanding, and happy. Remember when Abraham put God first? Abraham's life was a wreck before he put God first, by the way. He was saved, but he had lots of problems in his life. So like many in the church. Because he wasn't putting God first. What he wanted more than anything was a son. Finally, God gave him the son. What did God say? Uh, I need that. I need to be first. And when God became first and Abraham showed God that he was number one, what did God do? He made him the father of many nations, the one whom whom Jesus came through. When the widow woman was down to her last bit of oil and meal and Elijah went to her, what did he say? He said, make me a cake first. Was it because he was trying to 
steal from her, take her last from her. No, he was trying to release a principle into our life. The principle he was trying to release into our life is if God is first, all of a sudden you will see the blessings that you so desire. Seek God, he'll take care of the blessings. Seek God, he'll take care of the problems. Seek God, he'll take care of the issues. And she put God first and what happened? God put a miraculous supply on her oil and her meal. She didn't starve and she her future was was blessed because of it. When God is first, God desires to be first for our benefit. I heard a story, and I want to begin to wind this up, that really highlights or sums up trusting in God's love, understanding that when he asks us something or when he tells us something, it's for our benefit. The story is told of a group of of sailors who served our country during World War II. The war had just ended, and their ship was stationed and stopped in the Philippines and there was an air show celebration that was about to take place. And the sailors were glad about the end of the war, but not everybody was selling, celebrating. In fact, some of the Japanese soldiers didn't even realize the war was over and they were hiding in the jungle. One day the sailors convinced their commander to let them have a day off and, and go to the beach. Um, they were told that they, were go, that they could go and they all piled up into the back of an army vehicle, but the commander pulled over the driver and he told the driver, under no circumstances are you to stop on the road because they had to go through the jungle. Under no circumstances whatsoever. It doesn't matter what happens, you just keep going. Well, they're going and they're all having a good time and one of the sailors' hats flies off and it hits the ground. And the sailors start banging on the Jeep, banging on the Jeep. Stop, 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 stop. Come on, let me go back and get my hat. Let me go back and get my hat. And the driver wouldn't stop. He kept going. And in their rearview mirror, just a few seconds later, they saw Japanese soldiers coming out of the woods. They picked up the hat. They went back into the woods. And suddenly the rest of the drive was somber as they begin to reflect on what they didn't know, the choices of their disobedience. If they were willing to take a chance, they would have lost their lives. But because the driver obeyed, they were spared. What is the moral of the story? The moral of the story is trust God's love. When God tells us something, it's not because he's tripping It's not because he needs validation. He doesn't want to be first for him. God wants us to put him first because that's when our life works the best. Put God first. What did God have in mind for this rich young ruler? We're never told, but here's what I believe. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says, One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Notice what Jesus said. He said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. God's word says he who lends to the poor, it's like lending to God, and God will repay. I don't know this for a fact, but based on everything I know about God, here's what I believe would have happened. I believe if that man really did sell everything and give it to the poor, first of all, as Jesus saw him doing it, Jesus would have said, okay, I got it. 
You love me more. But even if he let him sell everything and give it to the poor, Jesus would have looked at him and said this, wait till you see how blessed you are going to be now because you just put me first and now watch what I do in your life. I believe God would have came through in a way that would have blown this man away and suddenly he would have realized that with Jesus in first place, all these other things can be added to our lives. But then lastly, How do we put God first? Repent from whatever is before him. But he went away sad, the Bible said, for he had great processions. The man was unwilling to repent. He was unwilling to change his life. He was unwilling to put God before what he loved most. For us, we're all different. For some, it's a sinful lifestyle. They want it their way. And so they persist in their sin. For some, it's material possessions. They want it their way. And so stuff first, God second. For others, it's recreation, vacations, and sports, and jobs, and spouses, and relationships. Whatever it is, for some, they want it their way. They want a God they can pop in on. A God that will be there for them in crisis, but only when they need him. They want God on their terms. They want a Burger King God. And here's what God told me to tell you. God wants us to drop the burger. He just wants to be king. He just wants to be king in your life. Ruler over your life. He wants us to repent of everything that is standing before him. So he can give us the life that he's designed for us. Let me close with this story read about this little girl and she was with her mom shopping and she saw these fake pearls at one of them five and dime stores she said mommy mommy can I please have these pearls and the mommy said well, I don't want to waste my money on that junk they're fake I said mommy I'll, I'll, I'll use my own money I'll use my own money and so finally after being begged and begged and begged the mother gave in and the little girl took out all the money she had in her pocket it was all the money she had in her life it was two bucks just enough to pay for the fake pearls plus the tax Oh, she loved those pearls. She took them everywhere she went. She was wearing them all the time. She wore them to bed with her. I mean, she was when she was in a bath, she had the pearls on. She loved these pearls so, so much. One day, her daddy was tucking her in the bed. And he said, sweetheart, do you love your daddy? And she said, oh, yes, I love you, daddy. He said, can I have your pearls? She said, daddy, anything but my pearls. You can have my Barbie dolls. You can have my tea set. You can have whatever you want. But your daddy, not, not my pearls. And so the daddy just kissed her, put her to bed, and off he went. A couple days went by, and he was tucking her in again. He said, sweetheart, do you love your daddy? She said, oh, yes, I love your daddy. He said, can I have your pearls? She said, daddy, you can have my easy bake oven, but you cannot have my pearls. You can have my bicycle, but you cannot have my pearls. Anything but my pearls, daddy. Daddy just tucked her in and went off. A couple days went by. Daddy stopped asking. He shut the light. He was about to walk out of her room. She hopped up out of bed. She came over to her daddy with her fist clenched. And in her hand were those fake pearls. And she said, here you go, daddy. Daddy looked at her and said, sweetheart, I've been waiting for a week for you to give me them fake pearls. And he reached into his pocket. And he said, here's what I bought you. These are real, sweetheart. Can I tell you what God wants to do? God wants you to trade in your fake faith. He wants you to trade in your Burger King Christianity for something that is real 
and something that is authentic and something that is worth a whole lot more than five and dime Christianity that we have picked up along the way because we have allowed the world's ways to deceive us and lead us astray. God wants to give us an authentic faith. There's a scripture in the Bible. Here's what it says. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and he sold everything that he had and he bought it. And this scripture has been interpreted two ways. Both are good. The first way is that Jesus is the pearl of great price. And that when you find Jesus in your life, that when you finally come into a relationship with Jesus, you give everything you have to get to Jesus. Everything becomes number two and Jesus becomes first. It's like that old song says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. When you finally find Jesus, you hit the jackpot. Paul, when he was standing in dung in the book of Philippians, by the way, that we study on Wednesday night, see at church Wednesday night. Well, pastor, you know, I'm just getting home from work. I'm a little tired. Burger King Christianity. Well, you know, pastor, you got a lot to do Burger King. Okay, I'll see you in church Wednesday night, okay? Yep, did you just try to guilt us, pastor? No, I'm just preaching the gospel. Sometimes it's what you don't want to hear, Right? God wants to give us an authentic faith. When we find Jesus, everything is second. But then secondly, this has been interpreted to mean that you are the pearl of great price. In other words, Jesus gave up everything to redeem you. He gave up his throne. He gave up his deity. He gave up his majesty. He gave up his life. He gave up his dignity. He laid aside everything that he had a right to do and to be and to act in. And he did it all because he loved us with an everlasting love. That's what the scripture means when it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he died for us that we could be made right with him. And so as you stand to your feet this morning, I have two invitations. The first is for who are those who have never surrendered their life to Jesus. Those who have thought religion is equal to relationship. Those who have not understood that in order to be saved, we must repent of our sin renounce our old life and with the help of the Holy Spirit live a life that is God honoring it doesn't mean that we'll be perfect but it means that we are constantly striving and warring to live for God in every way if you're here today with no one looking around you don't know if you're right with God but today you want to repent of your sins and be made right with him right where you are just put your hands up I'm going to pray for you pastor today I want to give my life to Jesus God bless you all the way in the back pastor today I want to give my life to Jesus I want to repent of my sins and I want to be made right with him I'm not asking because I want more hands, but God bless you guys. I'm asking because Christ died for you, and he loves you, and he wants you right with him. If you're not right with God, but today you want to surrender your life to him, hold it up. 
Amen. Put your hands down. Second invitation is for those who love God. You don't just, you just love him less than you love something else. It's a hard one. But this is the place where we get right with God. I've had to do this in my life many times before. I'll give you a simple example. When God told us to start a church in New York City, I said, God, I can't do that. He said, why? I said, I watch football on Sundays. Anything wrong with that? No, nothing wrong with watching football. Matter of fact, God loves me so much, the Cowboys will spank the Eagles at 820 tonight after church. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things will be, God moves Cowboy games around just for me. What is my point? My point is, God said, what do you love more? Love football more? Or you love me more? And I had to say, you know what, God? You're first. You're first. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? There's some things that I got to lay down. Put your hands up. I want to pray for you. There's some things that I got to lay down. Hallelujah. You can all put your hands down. Let's pray together, everybody out loud, for the first group of people. If you raised your hand, you want to be made right with God and repent of your sins, say this out loud with me, everybody praying. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins. I turn my back on my old life. And I live for you with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if an usher hasn't already found you, they're going to find you. Raise your hand again. They'll find you. They'll give you a little gift. But secondly, I want to pray for everybody else. And this is the mass of Christianity. It's the challenge of the end of the age. Who's going to be number one in your life? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We lay down everything that is before you. Father, we repent of having other gods and other idols and other things that we love more than you. And Father, we're asking you with the help of the Holy Spirit to truly, truly, truly help us to put you first in every area of our life. Father, we thank you that when we do, your love will kick in in a greater and greater way in our life not that you'll love us more but we'll see it operating in our lives and Father all the things that we long for will be found in you Father your blessings will abound and we thank you for your absolute goodness in Jesus name and everybody said Amen and Amen